0: My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast with
1: your host, Jason Bunker.
2: Hey, welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We are so pleased to have you here with us once again. This week on the show, I am joined by ambient country trio, S.U.S. On their own, S.U.S. members Jonathan Gregg, Bob Holmes, and Pat Irwin have been involved in countless musical projects you've likely heard of, with artists like Katie Lang, the B-52s, John Cale, David Bowie, Nora Jones, The War on Drugs, and Wilco. Irwin even contributed some music to Nickelodeon's Rocco's Modern Life. Since 2018, they, along with their departed bandmate, the late cartoonist and musician Gary Lieb, have created spectral, moody soundscapes they've dubbed Ambient Country, which is also the name of a podcast that Bob Holmes hosts, where he highlights the roots of the high and lonesome sound, weaving together strands of instrumental folk, Americana, ambient, electronic, and psychedelic music. The group's latest is called Sus, it's a self-titled collection that assembles four EPs, Night Sweet, Heat Haze, Winter Was Hard, and Across the Horizon, into a majestic double album, full of slow motion twang, suspended synth drones, and gorgeous swells of pedal steel. This is country music mutated and stretched along a vast horizon, open music for open souls. It was a pleasure to host these three for a Loose Hangout podcast episode where we discussed the idea of ambient country itself. Before you hear that though, a quick plug. If you want to support Aquarium Drunkard, there is an easy and handy way to do it. Just head over to our Patreon. By pledging your support over there, you can assure that the dedicated heads at Aquarium Drunkard are able to make sure what's spinning on our turntables and in our playlists can make its way over to yours. All right, buckle up and adjust your rear view. We're going for a long midnight drive with Sus. Thanks so much for listening. This is Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Sus, welcome to... Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's an absolute pleasure to have you guys.
0: Pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking us. Yes, thank
1: you.
2: We're diving. We're diving right in. I'm doing that Mark Marin trick where I start recording the uh, interview right away. I begin it before people realize we've begun it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, I'm curious how you you guys. There's there's the official ambient country podcast. Uh, how long have you all been on the podcast train as listeners of of people's podcasts? Is that a is that a newer interest for you all, or does it feel like an extension of radio? Or how all do you sort of con- conceive of the thing?
0: Um, I guess I'll start. Um, it's a little hard for me to even know what the difference is between a podcast and a streaming radio show these days, I don't, you know, and, and I, since I listen to a lot of them, some people call them uh, podcasts and other people call them radio shows. It's funny that you just mer- uh, mentioned Mark Marin because I don't really, I mean, he, he was sort of my gateway drug into the whole thing, especially his mm-hmm. view with musicians. So, um, yeah. Um, and, um, but you know, in the line for me, the line is really blurry now between radio shows, podcasts, playlist, curated music, uh, and, you know, like what you're doing, what Flow State is doing, what Sonic Cloth is doing. A lot of people are just, you know, and I'm just I, I listen to everything. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called. I think <laughs> I, I think I just call it music. So I don't know. That's all I know.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's funny thinking about podcasts, right? Cuz there's an antiquated term baked into the whole thing, right? Like we call them podcasts, I guess, because of the iPod, and the iPod is a device that is I mean, largely gone from culture. Um so it's 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 <laughs> it's, it's so funny to me to think about that. I'm sure there are other examples of things where the 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 root source of the term uh, no longer
1: as relevant right right I think a lot
0: of it came down to the pod- <laughs> podcasts were in the in the early days podcasts were something that you would download so that you could listen to it at your leisure
2: mm-hmm.
0: and now because of the ubiquity of um broadband and and high bandwidth phone services you don't even think about downloading or something you just find it and stream it wherever you are so
2: yeah yeah and i think it's cool to, i mean there's a million just like anything else this being a podcast us having aquarium drunkard does the radio shows you all are doing a a episode of our dub lab broadcast which we do monthly and then justin who founded aquarium drunkard he's got the sirius xmu show so that's satellite radio um but you're right there's a proliferation of all this stuff you can get access to all this stuff and there's more available to listen to than than maybe ever before which brings me to the ambient country designation because i think that the the usefulness or the utility of a term like ambient country becomes very apparent when we're talking about how there's an endless amount of things to listen to right so i feel like it's kind of an interesting and cool way to give a name to frankly a kind of amorphous genre idea do you remember which one of you guys first who who first said ambient country or when did that how did it come into existence the term Bob.
3: well I,
2: I, it, was
0: Bob. I, it was me but uh <laughs> you know I, it it's it's been a blessing and a curse i'll have to say you know um <laughs> you know ambient country is sort of my you know put the chocolate and the peanut butter together and you come up with something but um you know it, if i'd have been a little smarter about the genre, I I don't know if I'd have even attempted to put a name to it because it was only after we put a name to it that that I really saw how deep and wide the whole thing was. You know, I it, when when it's when it started, there were the tent poles of um uh Apollo Atmosphere by Eno and Len there was the Rai Cooter soundtrack, there was the Hired Hand soundtrack by Bruce Langhorne, there was the stuff that uh, um, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis were doing, Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, and um, and, uh, I know that we all get a little prickly when People say we're the pioneers of this genre when so many people have been doing music like this for years and um, music that we love and music that we respect and listen to, which is one of the reasons why we did the podcast in the first place which is to show just how wide and deep this musical genre can be. And it's not uh, it's not just people making music. With Americana instrumentation, even so, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mindset, and it's kind of a an approach to sculpting a musical environment that is big and broad and open, and that you can live and walk through.
1: And I think that's just because there is such a wide variety of things that could fall under this rubric. I think that makes it all the more explains all the more why people. Gathered around this term because it helped crystallize something that was out there, and it just gave at least some kind of a, of a, a, a point of purchase, a kind of a, a, something to grab onto. And you know, people who felt like they belonged in this category then would, uh, you know, would 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 rally around it. Uh, so we just, you know, we didn't we didn't dis- invent the genre, but we put a name that that people could remember. Uh, to what we were doing and and what we knew other people were doing similar things out there, and that just helped gel the whole situation, I think, and, and people, and it certainly helped, you know, the reviewers to have a, a hook for their, you know, to re- respond to what we're doing, it really helps if you identify yourself in terms that they can understand and 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 then they'll they'll just bounce it right back at you and then and there are ripple effects
0: from there yeah of course if we made you know we made that claim of ambient country and um our peers and friends and press um were like okay now prove it to me (laughs) (laughs) prove it to me that it can be both ambient and country at the same time and and um uh, luckily, they thought we succeeded on that. Um, but uh, it's uh, you know we we there's been a lot of names made for it since that time. You know, uh, ambient Americana, cosmic Americana, cosmic country goes on and on and on. You know, depending on where you are in the globe, everyone seems to have a slightly different name for. It. But I think everybody knows what we're all talking about. This juncture
2: was was sus founded with the idea of a of a sound in mind how did how did it come together or did the did the sound predate the term in terms of in terms of the th- you know you three playing together uh um uh, four of course with your your past bandmate as well but um yeah it actually was, started
1: with five of us so it
2: started with five okay
1: Bob's elevator pitch was, although it wasn't in an elevator, but yeah. uh, uh, it was basically, you know, Eno meets uh, Ennio Morricone. And, you know, that was sort of like just a little starting point. And he just had, you know, about, gathered in his mind the, the, the people he thought would uh, be game to do such a thing. And, and we all said, sure. Yeah. yeah I th- and the, f- the fun part about it is that we,
0: you know... There was a discussion about would we should we do we have the time to do this and everyone said yeah let's give it a shot with no commercial or intention just us doing it together we you know we were weren't even sure we were going to play the music for our wives but um, the uh, uh, the fun part about it was that in the early days all five of us had slightly different concepts of what the solution would be. So, the end result was just the Venn diagram of where all those five circles met.
2: You mentioned the Eno, Apollo's, Atmosphere, and Soundtracks, which I think was, uh, I think 1983 is when that came out. Um, 83, 84, yeah. 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 That is an incredible record and it is some it's a record that i have returned to again and again and getting ready for this conversation i went back and i listened to it and we've had daniel lenoir on this show um and got to talk with him about that that album his use of pedal steel has over many decades been very interesting and has pushed at the corners of what would be considered, you know, traditional uses of the instrument, and I think in a great way. But I was also thinking about how that film is used in the soundtrack to the "Incredible for All Mankind" documentary. Um, so you're hearing that music and seeing these this NASA footage of these space explorations, but then also. I'm pretty sure that you hear Buck Owens in that movie too. The astronauts are listening to it, so I was. That's where the
0: inspiration came from originally. Was that they knew that the um, they 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 knew what the playlist of the astronauts were in the uh, spaceship, you Yeah. The music.
2: Well, I found myself just thinking so much about how that music in that film specifically. kind of evokes this idea of the frontier and the frontier as it was understood then being outer space, right? Um, and of course, the music of the Southwest, you know, in terms of this notion of the frontier, all of this different stuff. But part of the reason I like what you guys do so much is because it's not... It's not as prescriptive as any of that, right? Like I feel like the the records and the music that you guys make leaves a lot of space for the listener to bring their own thing to it. Sometimes I feel like um, Americana is a term that really bugs me for various reasons, you know?
0: (laughs) You're you're on the same ship with us, man.
2: (laughs) Just like I'm sure the term ambient country... I'll say this in as a side note, right? Like I've never been in a band that I liked the band name for more than a few minutes. Right. Cause like the, mo- <laughs> the moment you put a name on something, you're just like, ah, oh, that's the thing, you know, or whatever. So, so I understand sort of having like complicated or, uh, let's say s- split or paradoxical feelings about maybe being attracted to a-, a name versus being annoyed by it regardless. But all that said, Americana is like, Americana feels to me just too imaginary and too not rooted in anything real, you know. Uh um often what gets called Americana in modern parlance is is, you know, m- music that's maybe slightly left of center in a roots thing or whatever. Anyway, th- uh, this is we could go down this rabbit hole, but I guess what I'm curious about is did you guys all originally meet under the sort of context of the, the cowpunk movement? If we were to, to throw out another weird genre yeah. name, no,
0: mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I, and this, uh, I'm going to turn this over to Pat cause I, I give him more credit for this than anybody else. Um, uh, Jonathan and I are probably more on the country leaning side of, of what we do and what we listen to. Um, but Pat is the one who brings the distinctly urban approach and is constantly reminding us in our imagery and and sound that it's not just about the Southwest. And,
3: and he's very sensitive to that. So I'll
0: just let Pat take it.
3: Uh well, uh we're from New York City. Right. Uh, I, was, I was I was wearing my my uh my, i found my flying corn decalb hat uh just right i've been wearing it um i'm i'm from the midwest and i i'm from i grew up listening to country music and i've played country music actually i don't talk about it too much but i've played gigs i've played in country western show bands and and things like that when i was a kid uh but i came to new york and heard a world of music that just opened my eyes and took me to a new place when i heard philip glass for the first time when i heard steve reich and then later began to become more aware of where they came from with terry riley and things and i and i've for for you know i i i worked with john cage and so i'm aware of these things of of, of music that a style of composing that is more based on chance operations um ambient sounds and it just thrills me it and it and it i think of it as a very sort of new york thing you know right now i'm listening to the train go by um yeah and i just think of it i think of us as being from new york city and i just don't want to ever forget that yeah yet Yet, I'm very proud to be in a band with a guy that plays pedal steel. And I'm very proud to have a mandolin in the band. And I love those instruments. Um, I want to hear what they sound like. I want to hear what they're going to sound like tomorrow on things I haven't heard yet. So, uh, you know, there's a whole world
1: open up for this instrumentation that I'm excited about and you know in 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 turn you know bob and i have written songs in the past you know but pat is a composer i mean he has studied composition so that adds a whole level of you know just a, even if it's it it not necessarily manifest in every single thing we do it's an overview it's an experience it's a sense of organization and of uh instrumentation uh that's you know that's a you know this band you know like all bands that are any good is greater than the sum of its parts and, and everybody does something that is unique to them and we all luckily you know are able to join those elements in a really exciting way because everybody's bringing something that you know probably the rest of us would not have even thought of you know and and it's and uh we constantly i mean we're surprising each other all the time and that's that's really unusual <laughs> in a band i'll say i'll tell you that Pat, yeah, when did... I'm sorry, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No,
3: no, no, no. No, 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 please no, hit
1: it. <laughs> I was going to say, when when did
2: you get to New York? What About what year? 78. 78. So when you talk about, you know, um, when you talk about a group like you're in now where everybody brings their individual tastes to the table, um, every couple of years I go back and I read Will Hermes, his book, uh, Love mm-hmm. Goes to Buildings on Fire. Mm-hmm. Incredible book, incredible mm-hmm. look at... Um, this particular moment in New York history where things are happening musically that had never happened before, and they're all happening in close proximity. And you've got like punk stuff happening, you've got the minimalist guys in the lofts, you've got salsa music being born, you've got jazz, you've got the birth of hip-hop, you've got all this happening... And it's all happening in the same place, more or less. And it's and it's the crossbreeding begins immediately. There's, I mean, there's no time where it, it's it's crossbred from the moment it starts. Basically, I think about somebody like Arthur Russell who could move so fluidly from the club scene to the minimalist thing to playing with the Talking Heads to having earlier records that are country-ish right like he's playing kind of folk folk songs or whatever so i wonder Mm -hmm. for you for you guys we often hear about how this completely open field of music and access that we have to music now where you can listen to pretty much anything you know uh pretty quickly it doesn't take a whole bunch of effort to find something if you really want to hear it um we often hear about how that has sort of dissolved the lines between boundaries, but I wonder for you guys if, you know, if there is, if you could speak to maybe the root of uh, of the kind of willingness that it requires to be in a band that, that doesn't do one thing, but rather tries to bring in elements from a lot of things, if that's not too... Uh, lofty, a question or too wide, you know. I mean, just just where where that comes from, and, and if it's always felt. Sort I'm going to jump in
3: on this. Yeah, I'm going to jump in on this. I've been playing in bands for a long time. So have these guys, so bands are weird. Um, you know, I was just talking to my friend Kate from the B52s just about an hour ago, um, and we we're go- going down memory lane back into the late 70s um, about that. You know the things that bring you together when you're a kid aren't the same things that bring you together when you're 40 or 30 or 50 or later um we came together as a band later and we came together as a band with a lot of experience in our belts we came together as a band not knowing what was going to happen not with a record deal not saying okay we're going to be the beatles or anything like that we we didn't know that we didn't even know if we were going to play live um, we just made some music. and bands have kind of an inherent creative tension in them. And that can be hard to handle sometimes, depending on your mood, what you have for breakfast, you know, or how long you've, you know, been awake, how long you haven't slept, it all that all kind of adds up. I think we came into this deal with a little bit of experience under our belts mm-hmm. as grown-ups and have been through a little bit so there might be a little bit of give and take here that we're not we're not comfortable with but i think we kind of roll with it not in an idealistic way like oh god we love everything no no i mean this is a collaboration there's give and take um not everything is going to go over quite the same right away but i think there's sort of a patience i might be the least patient of the three of us but that 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 we're willing to kind of let it go a little bit, uh, and I'll let somebody else take over from there.
0: Yeah, and and also you know it's not like um, we are part of a scene or anything like that. I mean, we are res- we respect all the you know there's a lot of amazing music coming out of New York, but. Um, you know, and it could be just because of where we are in our life stage um we we don't hang uh with um, a lot of peers so but there are you know <clears throat> pockets uh, cities across the United States that have pockets of this type of music and, and now it seems that New York is one of those cities and we're not the only band in New York that's that's doing it now um. But you know, Austin was ground zero because of Stars of the Lid and in the Northwest um is is huge because of um Chuck Johnson and what's in Sarah Debachi and Mills College and stuff like that. Um Nashville is big because of Hammock and Luke Schneider and
1: um, uh and now there's some bands coming out of New York too, which is cool. So I think the thing too is that we're not yeah, I mean, it's really that there's, you know, um, this is probably the most open sort of format I've ever been in a band with, because first of all, uh, you know, there's no lyrics uh, and it's not a strict rhythmic form. And it really is a matter of how we respond to each other's uh, ideas uh, in the most basic way. And that is really the grail of music as far as I'm concerned. You know, that's there's, there's nothing that beats the spontaneous kind of exchange of, of 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 musical ideas and um and so far we've been able to really uh you know however it takes to get to the place we get we like the and we all agree that the end result is good and there's always surprising things about it that there's very little strategizing you know at least at my end uh, uh, uh for forethought of how something is supposed to sound right uh and and I think that is the most liberating thing you can have in any musical undertaking. You know, uh, we're making it up as we go along in the most literal sense, uh, and and it's um and that is you know that's that's a fantastic freedom to have, and that it's worked so well, and that we are able to complement each other's ideas in a way that we each find, you know, very satisfying is just you know it's just an affirmation as we go along of like yeah we've really you know we've got something whatever that thing is it's not a linear thing it's becoming it's it's evolved uh but it's unmistakably us and and that's 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 another really precious thing you know we we have a sound uh and and we know when it's and we know when it's us
2: yeah it's i don't normally ask bands about their their band name but i am curious where where you're where you all came up came up with that one because as i'm sure you're aware you guys i mean first off this is a band that is good at branding between the alt country thing and and the name sus which is a great name uh, sus has become a term that i hear people young people using all the time uh, you know, I think short for suspect or whatever. Ooh. I don't know if that was the way it root- was rooted for you guys.
1: No, it was like the word of the year, uh, uh, I think, or something in one of the diction. I mean, I was I was blown away by how prominent it had apparently become. <laughs> Bob, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, when when it's explained, I could make something up that sounded cool, but I'll, I'll just it, it's, the, the origin of it is not cool. My my wife who is really good at naming things she has a bunch of restaurants she names all the restaurants she heard the music she she immediately loved it which is something that doesn't usually happen with her i've you know she's known my music since the 80s she has not loved it um so she said oh you guys should call yourself the suspenders because you're a bunch of old men and i thought oh that's funny and of course there's a million different bands called suspenders but um Gary and I started talking about it and we di- we liked the idea you know suspenders sustain suspense um just all of these words that began with sus that, that were really cool and then the, the fact that the word uh sus had two different meanings sus meaning trying to figure something out which is mm-hmm. it has a po- positive connotation and something that's sus uh, short for suspect, that has a negative connotation, and um, and then one of our b- best friends that we went to college with, his last name was Sus, spelled S-U-S-S. So we thought nothing would be funnier than that to call him up and tell him we named the band after him. So <laughs> it just ended up being, and, and we liked the fact that it was. We knew there was going to be all caps from the beginning, four capital mm-hmm. letters, three of which were S. And it was a singular word, so it was like, okay, this is cool. So yeah. that's I told you it wasn't a it wasn't a cool answer, but that's that's what it is.
2: No, it is, that is a cool answer because one, it looks great. It looks great physically. Just looking at the word, you know, it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like the band name Kiss, right? With those two S's yeah. at the end. There's something about it that really gets you. It's one of the it's one of the many ways that you guys remind me of Kiss.
1: Um, That's good. <laughs> yeah, our secret's out now. Damn,
0: yeah. it's also one of those words, and it, I, I forget what they call it. But the more you say it, the more you think about it, the more you think it's wrong. It's like, am I saying this right? So, you know, it's just, it just gets stuck in your head. So.
2: Yeah, there's a quality to it that does feel almost, and it feels almost musical, right? You know, it's like it's a word that is, that. It, it, yeah, there's, there's something to it that is like, the more you say it, the more it does become we- weird and feel weird. I mean, it, I guess any word is, is kind of like that. But <laughs> yeah, you work
1: it enough. Yeah. If you it work enough. it
2: enough, Dude. yeah, for for sure. Well, so the, the first record, Ghost Box, I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit I mean, you didn't start with the uh, notion of getting signed to a label or playing shows or doing any of that stuff, but you know, it happened, and it happened. I think people were immediately pretty pretty on board with that one. I was curious if the title Ghost Box, who came up with with that, and 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 where it where it might come from or reference.
1: That was Gary, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, Bob, we're not. You're delayed. No sound. Yeah, Gary came up with that completely out of the blue. We didn't even know
0: what a ghost box was. We had to look it up online. But of course right. he was on the money. It was, uh, it was like, a right, perfect perfect solution." Well,
2: after that was chosen, did you all uh did you all ever check out the the label, ghost box, the UK label that Yeah.
0: Yeah, afterwards we did. Yeah.
2: I I mean it's I think it's a great actual I think there's there's I've been thinking a lot about this like a considerable amount of overlap in my in my opinion not that sus doesn't sound like a label that would uh, uh, an artist that would be on ghost box necessarily but I think a lot about you know the bands that are Focus Group Broadcast Bellbury Poly, like all these really really cool groups they're all excavating a certain lost or occluded element of like British identity, and I feel like in a certain way, and and I'd love to hear more about this from you guys. Where that that thing? Because I am in the Southwest, and I and I do you know uh, feel like. The music is evocative of the desert or the open spaces of the desert, but I but I wonder if there, you know, where that where where did where did that side of it enter in, and did it have anything to do with sort of evoking the the past or a mythic or imagined past in a way that maybe groups like Broadcast or or those those groups have done? If does that make does that add up? <laughs> I'm not sure if it does.
0: Yeah, I I, I can say that we're all very sensitive to any retro ideas or nostalgic ideas. Um, I think that when people first heard about what it is that we were doing, they thought we were going to do some kind of throwback music uh, that might have reflected where we came from as as artists, um, but also a sort of national Americana kind of thing. And we definitely made anything that felt like that, we got rid of it
1: immediately, so. The only thing I could say that has, some relation i think to what you're talking about is just the evocation of you know it's it's kind of like big sky music you know and with the you know you get the the sort of big note guitar type things those are you know very redolent of the american west through westerns basically through you know italian movies (laughs) about the west uh and and so that's i think that triggers some kind of, you know, to the extent that there's any nostalgic element involved, I think that tickles part of some people's brain memory. And and it's like that puts them, at, kind of points them to that place. And and I, I don't think we've, you know, we've certainly played into that thought with just the geographic descriptions of some of our song titles and, and stuff. But that's about it. You know, we're, yeah, we're not reviving any particular kind of music, uh, but we're maybe reviving a certain uh, atmosphere, uh, that people associate with, you know, an older part of America.
2: Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy you can also see all your stats from the streamers and of course add a credit card to purchase album extras the distro kid app is available now on ios and android go to the app or play store to download it i think about the evocation of you know route 66 on on the night suite stuff right and Looking at those song titles, Flagstaff, Ash Fork, you know, like these these places that I I know I know that stretch of road essentially. Um, when I imagine it, when I listen to that record, it does not feel set in a mythic past. It feels very much set right now. And that exactly. meaning to me at least, right, that it's a when i when you when i when you're driving along the freeway and you know where route 66 sort of was it was right there it's it's a past tense feeling i don't know how to put it in any other way you know what i mean it's like i know something happened i know what this once represented but that is is sort of gone in a way and it's not good it's not bad i'm there's no value judgment assigned to it but i definitely feel like that's a it doesn't it doesn't feel retro and there's not a retro quality to what you do in fact i was listening to the the podcast and i like, in addition to citing uh the eno uh and Lenoir apollo thing and bruce langhorn and ennio Mor- uh, Morricone, i think you also i think there was also a 9 inch nails song thrown into the mix right on a on a recent ish episode and yeah. i had i had never heard that song um and it blew me away and it also pointed to me i think it was uh it's ghosts 30 it's called 30 34 ghosts 4 maybe
0: yeah it's uh it's trent reznor's biggest hit of all time i mean it was Which, the, it was the, it was the song that was used for the loop for what lil Naz? um
2: oh I, uh, uh um yeah his uh hit old town road
0: Old Town Road. That was the song. Oh that-
1: uh, okay.
0: They used that,
2: and uh, and that ended
0: up being uh, Trent's biggest hit. But that that whole album is amazing. I mean, it's all like that. I mean, I think it's a double album of thirty songs or forty songs.
2: Um. I would say he's not somebody that most people would readily associate with the term country, but just like that little Nas X song, a perfect example of who gets to decide what's country and what's not country, right? I mean that that little Nas X song was an example where the country charts. I mean, it's like unfortunately, it's like about as blatant as it gets, right? It's like the guy's not country because. He's black and it's and it's a, clearly also a rap song, you know, and I think people found themselves billboard specifically didn't want to qualify it in the country charts. They they put it on the pop charts or whatever. And so it becomes this very strange question of what you know, who gets to decide what's what. And what I like about your guys's music is that it's rooted in a essentially n- no one gets to decide what's what you're not even trying to prescribe what's what. That's a that's that's not the idea. Right. Right.
1: What it is, Um, is what we played, and that's all it is, you know? Yeah. You're talking about a phenomenon, politically
3: speaking, and culturally, that's kind of unique to recent years in that that there's a, a big segment of this country that is looking backwards, nostalgically, as if that was a better time. And, you know... It it kind of dovetailed with us as a band. Um, you know, we don't really talk about this at all. But the fact of the matter is, is that it was not a better time. Let's just get real about it. You know, let's come on. Let's yeah. And, and so it's the same with us as a band. You know, we're not going to look backwards. I'd rather do anything than repeat myself. And this is this is what I want to do. I mean, the, the, this is like uh, okay. I've been in rock bands for a while. I've done that. I've de- played classical music. I've done it. I've de- You know, I want to be in a band with a pedal steel player. Oh, that's a good idea. And yeah. uh, mandolin or whatever. And oh yeah, synthesizers, bring it on. We'll 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 put them into the mix and let's see what happens. You know, and and so per- perhaps there will be pieces of music that are evocative of another time. I hope so. I mean, you know, that's what music can do, but it can also look forward. And I just find it kind of interesting how it dovetails with, with the politics of, let's just say the recent, recent 10 years or so, where, you know, and I remember the first time I heard it, you know, with a with a family member of mine, um, well, not my immediate family, necessarily, but but if it, saying, Oh, God, I just want things to be the way they used to be. Sorry, dude, that's not going to happen. <laughs> The plant has closed, you know, and, and and I feel like it's a similar, similar thing with a band, you know, it's like, we're going to look forward. We're going to make new things. Um, now, how long we can play it out, we'll see. But right now I'm pretty jazzed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be making new things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, 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 that, that resonates very deeply with me, what you're saying. And, that imagined past by the way and i know i don't have to express it to you guys obviously but yeah that imagined past is also 100% imagined like you're yeah. you're you're imagining you're remembering this thing that never existed the way you believe it existed and that's what the past can become often if we're not careful i think right if we're not that's right if we're not invested in the present the past does become this sort of um this beacon of some some a transcendent, beautiful moment. That it's like no, it, there were there were problems then, there yeah. were struggles then, there right. was sorrow then, there was all the things.
3: Right. I mean, and you picked. It, it, you said you talked about 1979 in New York City, which, by the way, you know that record, those two records were made about three blocks away from where I am right now. The The Talking Heads, and but I think you've got to be really careful about being nostalgic about that time as well. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a remarkable time of things coming together basically based on, you know, phenomenally creative period with real estate prices, cheap rent, and and uh, magic. I'll, I'll just put it that way. But if you don't think anything cool is happening right now, you're in trouble. You yeah. know there is. You know there is. We just don't know about it, maybe and yeah. uh, and so i also want to be really careful about being the nostal- you know nostalgic for another time musically you know um and sure. i'm all for it i love 1969 miles davis you know give me that any day of the week and i'm in it or still sounds like home. it's from the
2: future yeah yeah yeah
3: right <laughs> exactly you know exactly at its best that's you i put on in a silent way the other night and my god that sounded like that could have been made yesterday
2: it I you mean, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and I think that that's something that's important. I mean, I remember, I, I remember being kind of younger, getting into music. Maybe I was, you know, in my sixteen or seventeen, and I and I read like a Joe Strummer quote, you know, from that era where he was saying, you know, no Beatles, no Stones, no like it was like a we're we're making a complete break with the past. Um, I brought that up on a conversation on this podcast with um. With Clem from Blondie, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, a little pretentious, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, a little pretentious, yes." Joe Strummer was saying, "No Beatles, no Stones, yada yeah, yada." Yeah. Obviously, right,
1: as if they'd even be there, yeah.
2: As as if they would be there without that stuff. As if you could excise that stuff if you wanted. But the truth was, I I kind of understand it both ways, right? I see both things. I understand saying, "No, we're breaking with the past. We're doing something new." There's stuff that's happening in electronic music right now. Uh, a field that is featured in the ambient country podcast stuff there's there's newer very experimental things that are that you guys are like folding into that it's a it's a malleable term and that's a pretty helpful uh that's a that's always an asset in a term i think is it's malleability but um there's music right now that maybe has it feels like it's broken entirely from the traditions of the past. But of course, you also can't do that. There, There's no way you can do that. Stuff is baked into us. So I think it's a lot more about the spirit we bring to it and the uh, sort of intention and willingness to push things or to not just accept something on face value. That's what allows music to have an enduring quality if if that but you, we don't get to pick that we don't get to pick the stuff that endures lots of incredible music has fallen completely out of you know out of memory right. public memory right. but anyway
3: yeah well it's all part of the entertainment pie
2: yeah no absolutely absolutely well i wanted to ask a little bit about about gary Lee, your 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 bandmate who whose name i knew uh as much from his alternative comic stuff as I did from his musical work. And I was wondering, you know, um, he passed away a few years ago. Well, it was right, and it was right before you had released something. So I'm sorry for your loss collectively, Um, but I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what it was that he brought to the band and how you think he has, you know, how did he shape what we we hear now? Yeah,
0: he... He definitely shaped it. He's still shaping it. I mean, I, I, I've known Gary since 1974. So we went to college together, Rhode Island School of Design. And, um, and, uh, when, uh, we got out of college, uh, he and I started rubber rodeo and, uh, in the late seventies, early eighties. And, um, you know, we've lived together, we've been by, we've been by each other's side for a very long time, almost 50 years. And, uh, his, his visual art, you know, in, in the, in the scope of our friendship, the making music parts of it were the smallest part, you know, decades went by when it was, when, you know, we would regularly go on vacations together and and see each other often. And the, you know, that the bluegrass band that Jonathan and I are in, he would, you know, we played once a, uh, one Monday a month for 12 years. I, I don't think he ever missed a single gig in, in 12 years, he was always there. Wow. Um, and, um, uh, but you know, um, at his memorial, uh, the, the, it became very obvious that the music is just was one small part of his life. A lot, a lot of people know him for his comics and his cartooning. One of the other members of rubber rodeo was Doug Allen and he and Doug Allen did a bunch of comics together. And Doug's a well-known cartoonist as well. And, um, and then a lot of people know him for his animation for movies. A lot of the movies that people know and love, he's done uh, the animations and credits for those, and then as a teacher, everyone, you know, he was a teacher for years and years and years at the new school, Um, and uh, so he had a crazy, crazy full life, Um, and we never, ever thought that we were going to get a chance to make music together again, Um, and, uh, you know, because Uh, Rubber Rodeo ostensibly broke up in 1986. I'll say that. So it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, We got to do a lot of fun things back in those years, but uh, we thought that that was behind us. Um, So, but when we started making music together again, it was, it was just like it was, you know, Gary is, you know, the, t- the term is a little too glib but he's kind of an idiot savant about synthesizers and electronic music he can barely play the keyboards he doesn't really know chords or keys or notes on the keyboard he just knows what he likes to hear and he's he's an endless experimenter and uh, and uh, he'll give he'll go into something not knowing what the result is going to be. And that's the main reason he goes into it in the first place. He doesn't, you know, if he thought that he knew what the result was, he doesn't even want to try. You know, it's like, why bother? But so um, he, uh, uh, you know, he had this, uh, you know, we'd sit in the studio for hours when we were making music, and he would just sit there doodling in his book, doing cartoons in his book, listening to what everyone else does and kind of like a smiling, happy little Buddha, you know, when it was right, he'd let us know it was right. And then we would move on, you know, and, and, uh, he was not, um, and that doesn't mean that he was judgmental or not. He was just like, okay, that sounds, you know, I'm loving that, you know, don't change the thing. Let's, let's move on. And, uh, it really, uh, in the early days, it really helped guide us into the right place. I, 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 I can't state this enough. That without Gary there in the beginning, this thing would have never happened. Gary was the what somebody else outside of the band called the secret sauce. You try to define what it is that Gary did, and it gets very hard. Except that you know, if you took it out of the mix, the whole thing would fall apart
2: right and uh, right
0: so a lot of what our latest double album has been like is that he was there for the beginning of it but like the first side of that record he did every song and the second side of the record he did half the songs and the third side of the record he only did a couple of songs and, and maybe he's a little bit on the last side but it was you know in real time people get to hear how the rest of us uh were challenged to forge on ahead without them and fill that gap and find new ways with you going going back to the conversation we just had about nostalgia or old music um we we had to be that way about ourselves we you know we couldn't yeah. look back and be nostalgic about oh well when we were with Gary, we would do it like this, you know. Uh, well, Gary's not here anymore. So, what are we going to do? You know, are we going to do anything? And if we do anything, how are we going to do it in a way that um, makes sense for us and doesn't feel like there's a huge gap there?
1: Yeah, Gary had a an a incredibly unusual skill set. You know, I mean, he had downloaded the 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 programs for all of the seventies. 70s- since onto his laptop because these days you could i mean that just fits this negligible amount of stuff in there over the years memory has gotten so much more and that's really what he played i mean he would just he didn't really play he did i don't think he even had a real keyboard uh uh literally a you know piano keyboard there but he he would just uh use uh these things in ways i I mean i none of us could even come close to duplicating what he did he had a a completely intuitive sense of how to manipulate the sounds and how to get what he wanted and as bob said you know when it was okay with gary then you knew it was that was the thing you know he was sort of a very he was the most even-tempered jolly person i've ever met in my life he was an incessant source of joy, of giving joy, of laughing. Uh I, I don't I, I never heard him say a crossword about just about anything. I mean, he was just really a pleasure to be around. And he had he was very free. He didn't, you know, if he didn't put a lot of weight on, he had no preconceptions. He wasn't attached, you know, in the Buddhist sense of like. I, this has got to be here, otherwise it's not the thing, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, and, and having that kind of, you know, of of freedom for, you know, a guy who's, for me, like, who's practicing all the time and fixated on the thing, you know, it was, it was such a great guy to have in a band. And he ad- added a wonderful still center to the whole undertaking. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, he was just a remarkable person and, 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 uh, and it was uh yeah it was a terrible loss but I mean I'm so I'm I'm very happy that you know I think he's happy now seeing how we've done even as we miss him very much uh I think we you know we're carrying on I think he'd still I I think he'd still give us the thumbs up and that smart just in, contagious smile of his and uh yeah was a beautiful cat yeah yeah
2: I was, I was like, I wonder if I can kind of direct this conversation towards this idea that I have about that kind of open willingness, uh, and the kind of like the freedom that comes with not deciding what the thing is before it exists. And you just went there right away. You guys all did in terms of, cause I wonder, you know, as a cartoonist, A cartoonist sees a blank sheet of paper, and they know that it could be something. And then, but they don't. Maybe they don't know what it is. I think about his. uh, You mentioned the animation that he did for movies, and he did. I think. I think he did the intro in uh, American Splendor, where there's that.
0: All of the animation in American Splendor is
2: his. It opens with that incredible. I think Joe Manieri, if I remember right, the uh, the uh, clarinetist, incredible. well that he, he might be on sax in that one i don't remember either, regardless and i never know yeah. how to say the name of the song but it's it's long been a favorite because of that movie and that animation is incredible but i think about that idea and i was i was i was like i wonder if there's some way we could talk about how you know how the skills that one brings to the visual art side of things can can port into can, to music you know but it sounds like it was already there like that was the way he he worked that that, that he sort of um he wasn't so wasn't just wasn't worried about it, and I think that's such an incredible freeing thing because worry is we get i think we it's easy to trick ourselves that worry is doing something good for us, but it mostly it isn't you know, uh, especially not in creative creative work, yeah
0: I mean as an artist, he would do this thing and he did it from the very beginning um he had this thing called a book of idiots, which was basically a you know, a uh, uh, black vinyl bound uh, book of white paper. And he would draw a little bit on a page and then he, he would pass the book over to Doug and Doug would draw something. And then Doug would, kind of kind of like an exquisite corpse, this thing would develop over the, between the two of them mm-hmm. with no um, plan beforehand. You know, when the book was opened, it was a blank page, and then by the end of an hour, by the you you might you have a whole page. By the end of the day, you might have four or five pages, uh, and a story sort of came out of it. And um, that that was that sort of exquisite corpse idea that Ian Doug worked on is is a really good analogy to the way we make our music as well. And uh, and so Gary was was perfectly poised to make music like that with Sus. Now, back in the day in the 80s when we were in a new wave band and, and people had to play specific parts in time and with drum machines and you had producers looking over your shoulder at every note that you played and all that, maybe not so much. I don't think any of us enjoyed it that much, you know, but <laughs> um, but uh, that was its own type of experience but this was sus was something that um his artwork forged the way for him and as i said before that sort of attitude he instilled in us in the making of the yeah. of the music and um, it really you know it, it was quite quite the learning
2: lesson
1: mm.
2: There's another artist who you played recently on Ambient Country that I, um, I don't feel like I see him recognized half as much as I would like to, and that's Steve Roach. Um, Steve Roach is a fascinating guy. As I mentioned, I am here in the desert, and he's got his studio out. He's just a couple miles from the U.S.-Mexico border, mm. um, and so he's south of Tucson, to the yeah. point where if you drive the 10 eventually before you leave the US it turns to kilometers on the on the freeway before like all the 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 mile markers switch to kilometers but he lives down there and um I was wondering uh the synthesizer is not necessarily always a, a an instrument that is considered uh, an americana or country instrument but uh but that's probably an unnecessary distinction. Um, When it came to synthesized textures, um, was there ever any hesitance about incorporating those sounds or was that automatic as well?
1: That was one of the best things about it as far as, for me, the place where the steel and the synth would blend and become almost... Yeah. Uh, you know, indistinguishable. That was huge, as you know, uh, and continues to be. Uh, but that was one of the first thing times when, I, to me, it felt like, right. I really see how this could really work. Joining these, you know, almost polar opposites in my mind. I mean, thinking, you know, uh, you know, a uh, uh, country instruments versus synth. You know, generally not found in the same, hatching from the same egg. And yet, there it was, and it was such a beautiful blend uh, that it was just, that was that was one of the best things about it. You know, I mean, that, that was very exciting.
2: Yeah. Um, Bob, on the instrument side of things, I wanted to ask you about the baritone guitar and when you first picked up a baritone. Was that something that you had been playing for a long time? No, no.
0: The, the, the baritone, I mean... We've all heard baritone guitars. Um, Pat is actually the owner of the baritone guitars, and he's the master of the baritone guitar. My my sole touch point with the baritone guitar is the uh, the solo in Wichita (laughs) Lineman, and that's like that's the that's in the beginning and the end of anything that I ever need to know about baritone guitar. So. You know i went many years playing that kind of music without a baritone guitar wondering why the heck i wasn't getting it <laughs> until pat just took this guitar and said here bob this is <laughs> this is what you need to have you're using the wrong <laughs> tool on this job and then after that it was like okay
2: I, that's I, I, yeah that's so funny because Two things. One, Wichita Lineman, one of the greatest. Uh, Wichita from the first Sus album, by the way. A, a kind of a quick yeah, touch point it's, there, it's, but a- but I think that's like one of the great songs. Period. And that solo is beyond amazing. And I, many many years ago, saw a YouTube video of Glenn Campbell playing it. Um, yeah. And he plays it on one of those Fender bass six, like a six-string yeah. bass in the video. So I tracked down, I have one of those now, and I'm obsessed with it. Um, yeah. Well, it's a Squire. They they did, you know, a cheaper version um, of. But I'm pretty sure it's not a bass on the recording. I think it is a, it's a baritone guitar it, on the recording.
0: It, yeah,
3: it is.
2: He explained, um,
0: there, you know, there, there's a book out, of course I've read it, multiple times called Wichita lineman. And it's, you know, it's a, it's one whole book dedicated to the making and recording in history of the one song, <laughs> <Wichita> <laughs> lineman. And then so,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny too. Cause that baritone sound, I, I, uh, another reason why I was really keen on getting one of these six string basses um, was the twin peaks theme. Um, and, and you can get a really nice approximation of that sound with the six-string bass, you know, and a little mm. reverb and, you know, maybe a little tremolo. But I'm pretty sure that's not even a guitar, actually. I think that's uh, a Oh, it's not a guitar. It's, just, it's, a, it's keyboard. a keyboard.
3: Yeah, it's uh, a keyboard.
2: The late Angelo Badalamente, an absolute master of coming up with sounds. But it's so funny when you guys were talking about Gary as a... Um, you know that there wasn't even necessarily a keyboard he had digital he was using digital means uh,
1: by He's which using time. iPads and, and, and stuff. yeah dragging dragging things in and and you know, pulling and stretching and
2: and and, and the fact that Angelo Badalamente, the fact that David Lynch on a lot of his musical work um almost solely digital you know he's not he's not doing he's not working with analog patches and he's not doing all this stuff and i know a lot of people who get hung up on the digital versus analog divide i think i'm of the belief that it none of it matters that it can be it can be great uh, going fully analog is incredible when you can do that um, and it might get you incredible results. Going fully digital might get you good results. I think, I mean, I don't know, and I'm just curious if you guys might want to speak to that. Is there a right or wrong way to do things, or is there just the way you choose to do them?
0: Um, in, the, in the keyboard department, you know, I'll give you a little inside baseball information. Most of the stuff, if I write it on keyboard, I write it digitally and it's basically for pure expedience's sake. I'm working off of my phone or an iPad or or whatever, just to capture in an, an idea and mood. Um, but Pat will be the first one to say, yeah, that's a great idea, but I think we're all gonna like it a lot better if we find <laughs> the um, analog equivalent of that and be able to control it through an analog. So, um, and of course. He's always right. So it it's, it does. You you know, you, you think you have a good patch, and then they'll say, "Well, just wait till you hear this on a on a Juno," and he pulls it up on the Junos. Well, well, of course, that's that's the sound. <laughs> it's 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 the same. It's 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 the exact same thing. Of like, oh, I thought I could play this on the guitar. He goes, "No, you have to play this on the baritone. That's when it's out there. Said, Oh, Of course.
2: Right. Right. So you would say though the sus sound is a is a digital and analog sound though overall I mean in terms of uh you are do you guys do you guys record to tape is that a thing that is important to y'all or is it a, a a you know like a digital rig that's the main the main way to go about it
1: Yeah we've done it all sorts of ways
2: Well that's again speaks to that idea of you know yeah, the, the, the idea is what matters and the execution can can be done and accomplished various ways, which is mm-hmm. it's it's just cool to think about. It's cool to think about and I also think that another thing that really I I find very interesting about your guys' group is that it feels to me like you've embraced the um, kind of modern music ecosystem, however, weird that is, you know, I get the sense that we can talk all day long about how uh, um, how poorly musicians are compensated for music in a digital uh, and streaming world because it is criminal, um, but at the same time it does allow access to music in a way that has never been experienced by a lot of people, and so I feel like Maybe I'm just projecting, but I pick up on an extreme willingness um, on your guys's part to say to people, hey, we made this, check this out. And I think that it's a good time to bring that kind of energy to music because people are looking for things and people are looking for music that is ambient in the sense that Eno maybe coined the term you could pay attention to it and get a lot out of it you can let it play more background wise and allow it to work in that way you know so I feel like you guys are well poised and navigating the weird landscape very very well so I don't know if you have anything to say about that (laughs)
0: Um, you know that you probably know as well as I do that that ambient scene in general, was really boosted by the pandemic. And if there weren't a thing like streaming music services, or whatever, there would have been little or no way for people to appreciate that music, even, even if they had a um, desire to listen to that kind of music. Um, you know, there, there was a need To be at home, to block out your surroundings while you're working or studying, to to create a calming atmosphere where you're living in a world that was anything but calm and ambient. All forms of ambient music really filled the bill Um, and because of the accessibility of, of streaming platforms. Now, don't get us started on the economics of that, as you said, because that's that's really stupid and and uh, or or trash talking any of the streaming services because no one has an answer to them. But, uh, but I know for myself, it's every day I get excited about new artists that I'm finding um as well as getting excited about you know if, uh, artists that that I get turned on to like Miles Davis in a silent way I mean it's it's there it's there for the listening whether you're talking about listening watching videos on YouTube or or streaming on Spotify or or uh discovering on Bandcamp or whatever um These are just tools to navigate the way of of music. And, you know, I do have the opportunity when I'm doing the podcast of talking to a lot of musicians, um, younger musicians, people that are, you know, 35, 40 years younger than me. And the experience that we had being professional musicians in the 80s at the same age that most of these people are now versus what they're experiencing. It's like two different worlds. It, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, when I tell them about how we were compensated or what, what we were allowed to do in the 80s in the MTV era, we would call it, it. It's just, it's, it's no relationship yet. All that being said, I feel more fulfilled and more connected to what we're doing and to the music environment in general now than I did back then. So yeah, there's uh, tons of pluses and minuses.
2: Well, that's beautifully said. And guys, it's been an absolute blast hanging out with you talking about this stuff. Thank you for uh, taking the time to do this. Thank you for taking the time to work on this dub lab uh, radio show. I can't wait to, to spend time with that. And to keep up with the podcast and to see where you guys take things next, are you working on stuff currently? Some some new some new stuff.
1: yeah, we're constantly, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, well, and, and
0: also, I... you know, I'm not. Uh, you know, we have a, a series of concerts coming up over the next um, several weeks, um, which is really big for us. So, uh, if you can direct your fans to check those out, that'd be great as well.
2: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, thank you so much um, for being with us. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your uh, your Wednesday.
1: Cool. (laughs) thank you i saw, i enjoyed i i didn't get to hear uh, all of your album but i did check out the last track that had been uh, uh noticed and i enjoyed it very much uh it was really yeah, it was very you know really nice really nice
2: thank you so much that is uh i owe a tremendous uh uh debt on that one particularly to uh the sample which is uh, a lot of fun and then also all that incredible lead guitar work is Michael Krasner the my producer and he just like he let it rip and we have yeah, a 20 we way. have a 25 minute version of it that exists too and we decided to pare it back he and i are both obsessed with the Metallica Lou Reed record and it ends with a uh, i think 15 minutes of uh, of a drone basically yeah. so he he had done a, a, yeah it ended with like something like 15 minutes of drone and he was like it's a nod to Lulu and I was like I really love this but I also think that maybe we should pair it back to 11 or so minutes so anyway <laughs> <laughs> that seems
1: like a reasonable
2: request I was like is this is really beautiful and I do like this and I and someday I'm gonna put that whole the long version out but yeah, yeah no, no Kra's version yeah,
1: they'll Kirk. be on the sec. They'll be on side B. You know. Yeah, <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The whole record is like is is like thirty five minutes long or something. So it's our The last track already takes up a considerable amount of the <laughs> runtime. But yeah, well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I, I really enjoyed speaking with you guys.
1: See you later, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks. Likewise, cool. thank it was, you. It's a pleasure. Thank uh, you. Be well, guys. Take care. Bye bye.
2: Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Maston, drawn from his incredible discography of gorgeous library music. Find out more by visiting Maston.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-S-T-O-N.bandcamp.com. Our art is by Dakota Brown. And our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, each and every Wednesday. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on the show, I'll be joined by Bruce Leischer of Independent Project Press and Records who joins us to reflect on a life of indie rock letter pressing and much much more. I hope you will join us until then, be well. This transmission is concluded.